Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, and some selected uh, verses. And before we read, though, give you a little background of where we are. Nehemiah gets the name Nehemiah because the governor of Israel was named Nehemiah at the time. The Israelites have been in exile. Babylon had, in the years before this, have taken over all of Israel, all of Jerusalem. And when they took that over, they exiled the majority of Israelites. Now the Babylonians have been overtaken. And the country has been reopened for the Israelites to come back home. And so as they come back home, they're coming together. And how does a, a group of people who've been separated from one another, as a group of people who have been reshaped, the community changed, how do they come back together? And remember their identity. Identity that God gave them. We pick up here in Nehemiah. As they come together. Looking for a way to, re, to bounce back. After so much has happened to them and their nation. Before we read. Will you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Oh, gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for your word. God, we thank you that your word is alive. We thank you that your word is constantly being given to us, opening up our minds and our hearts. We thank you that you are continuing to call us together to reimagine who it is that we have been called to be. As we read your word this morning, open up our hearts and our minds to what is possible with you today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, our reading comes from Nehemiah, chapter 8, and some selected verses. When the seventh month came, the people of Israel being settled in their towns, all the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. According to the priest, Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of all the men and women, and all those who could understand, and the ears of all the people who were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book, in sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So they read from the book, from the law of God with interpretation. They gave the sense that, so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. 
For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people saying, Be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. In my first year in seminary, all the first year students were required to take a class called Imagination and Resilience. It was one of those mandatory classes we all made fun of and complained about while there. What was the point we kept asking? As eager first-year students, we wanted to learn about the, the ancient language of Hebrew and, and parse out stories in Exodus while learning more about pastoral care. And, and now don't worry, we were overloaded with these studies, and I'm thankful for my education in each of these subjects. But over the past 24 months, it is interesting as I continue to be in conversations with classmates how we continue to refer to the Imagination and Resilience class. And recently, my Hebrews professor, Ron Bonfilio, whom some of you all met last year during a Bible study, wrote a, a blog post questioning the modern-day definition of resilience. A popular opinion, he writes, has it that resilience is the result of mental toughness, tenacity, grit, discipline, strength, and or thick skin. Some truth to this but each of these answers assumes that resilience is primarily about enduring through a difficult situation or bearing up under hardship resilience however has a slightly different connotation resilience is about leaping back resilience is about bouncing back to our original shape after being deformed under pressure or force if something or someone is resilient, it doesn't mean they are undented or never crumble under pressure or aren't crushed under the weight of criticism or disappointment. To be resilient is to have the capacity to bounce back to our God intended, intended identity and purpose. In our Old Testament scripture reading this morning, we find the Israelites home again. After being exiled from their homes with military force, after leaving in, living in foreign countries, some with the, the weight of disappointment daily yearning for the years of old, and others thriving and adapting to new cultures, looking to the future and a new way of life. Now they're all back home completely deformed of the task of not only rebuilding the infrastructure, that's the easy part, but how does a human community bounce back to the God-given identity as some desire the days of old and others with only eyes for tomorrow? 
in the small independent movie Sunshine Cleaning. Amy Adams and Emily Blunt play sisters struggling with the meaning of their lives in adulthood. Before either was born, the sister's mother was an inspiring actress. She appeared in one TV movie of the week as a waitress in a truck stop diner who got the other one line. You want the pecan pie? I recommend our pecan pie. The actress, their mother, committed suicide when the sisters were very young. All they really have is a tangible memory of their mother is that one scene in that one movie. Whenever it appears on TV late at night, the sisters call each other and they go to their respective TVs watching the scene over and over. You want the pecan pie? I recommend the pecan pie. Trapped in the present that they are struggling to grasp, they glimpse once again a yesterday they will never have. In the future, they can never experience. I don't know about you, but I feel as I am watching a movie scene over and over. I feel this January is a little deja vu as the world gets a glimpse of yesterday yet again that we'll never have again and struggle to find a future we all wonder if we'll ever experience. You want the pecan pie? I recommend the pecan pie. We especially feel this within the church is our tendency to say that the deforming of the church started 24 months ago when the first positive COVID results came into the United States. But if we're all honest with ourselves, all churchgoers, we can see the reshaping of the church started years ago. And now after we've come back together, after being forced to be apart from one another due to, due to a horrific pandemic, we do so with mixed emotions. We do so getting glimpses of, of yesterday that we'll never have again. In the future, we may never experience. Not with the changes in our county. The changes that are going on in American culture. With the changes that God is doing in and with the church. You want the pecan pie? I recommend the pecan pie. After years of being in exile, seeking imagination for tomorrow and resilience of yesterday, and notice what the Israelites do not do. They do not try to fill the calendars with yesterday's events or come together with team building exercise or listen to the most popular and recent podcasts. They do none of that. Instead, they come together, all the people. It keeps saying over and over in the scripture, over and over again, notice, um, that it keeps saying all the people, men, women, children, intergenerational coming together. And when they do, they actually do less. They do just one thing. All the people together read scripture. 
Imagine that. To bounce back to the identity that, that God gave them. To reimagine their new future. Just They start by doing less and going deeper. And together, with one another's help, and with one another's interpretation, they read God's word. And then notice what happens to the people upon hearing the word. In verse 9, it says, they wept. I'm sure they wept for many reasons, some weeping because this was the first time. Since a small child, they heard these words read aloud at home. Others, I can imagine, we remember sitting in their grandparents' lap or great-grandparents' laps, listening to the word read, and they longed for those saints to be next to them today. While others, I'm sure, well, because of guilt, crying because over the years in exile, they had moved so far away from their identity. They no longer recognize themselves. Well, most of them, I imagine, wept. Because whether they had heard the Torah read many times, or whether this is the first time hearing God's word, these scriptures, have they heard? They heard about a God of love, of grace, of mercy, a God of forgiveness, a God of liberation, a God of reconciliation. A God who is so resilient and so imaginative that God keeps coming to them over and over and over again. Freeing us from whatever trap we find ourselves in today. Do you want the pecan pie? I recommend the pecan pie. In her book, Traveling Mercies, Anne Lamont speaks directly about the time in her life when she felt deformed. And it was, it was a time when everything that could go wrong went wrong. Her dad passed away. Her best friend was dying of cancer. Her career had not taken off. Personal relationships were not going well. To numb the pain? She turned to drugs and alcohol. Every Sunday morning in Marion City, California, she went to a flea market in a Greyhound bus depot parking lot, usually in bad shape from the night before, always, though, there to watch people seeking inspiration as a struggle writer while trying to find the local food truck with the best food. One day, she said she began to hear music. It was gospel music coming from a church across the street, which turned out to be a, a little Presbyterian church. She describes it this way. It looked homely and impoverished. A ramshackle building with a cross on top sitting on a small parcel of land with a few skinny pine trees. She knew some of the hymns from the time that she went to church with her grandparents. She began to stand by the door and just listen. I couldn't believe how run down it was, with terrible linoleum and plastic stained glass windows, 
It had a choir of five black women and, and one rather Amish-looking white guy. The congregation was about 30 people or so, radiating kindness and warmth during the time when people hugged and greeted each other. Folks would come back to where I stood to shake my hand or try to hug me. But I was frozen. It stuck somewhere between yesterday and tomorrow. Still, as Richard Nixon. She stood in the doorway for months, listening to the singing, watching as a poor little congregation brought huge tubs of food for those experiencing homelessness. Finally, she stepped through the door and as inconspicuous as possible, she sat in a folding chair near the back, always careful to say, just stay just long enough for the reading, yet leave right before the sermon. It was the people all together singing, listening to scripture that drew me back week after week from the flea market to my folding chair near the door after a crisis of my own, she remembers. One Sunday, I returned home and the dams just broke. The floodgates opened and I wept. I sat on my kitchen floor and I wept, crying out to God. I said, I quit. I quit. All right. You can come in. As Israelites sat together and wept, they reminded each other to not cry, not, not cry because you lost your identity. Don't cry due to infidelity to God. Instead, share a meal with one another. And for all those who are missing, go and share a meal with them. For the joy of the Lord is in his strength. Friends, we live in a world where unhappiness is at a highest rate in 50 years. Anxiety disorder is the most common mental illness in the United States and suicide rate for our children has increased every year since 2007. What this world needs now is not resilience defined by grit or strength or disguised as a thick skin or tenacity. What this world needs, what you and I need is to be reminded that our strength will not save the world. Instead, the joy that we long for, the strength that we need, comes from something way beyond ourselves. Without God, we will remain trapped, yearning for yesterday and seeking something that does not exist for tomorrow. In this time that feels so deja vu, what if we did something radical? So radical made everyone around us stop and look. What if we as a church committed to doing less. What if 
instead of filling our calendar with the things of yesterday or, or filling it with what we think will bring us joy for tomorrow? What if we, as a church, instead committed to doing just one thing? What if we, all together, committed to reading Scripture in 2022? To open up the Bible, guided by God, we read Scripture together, all of us, all the people. What we lost, Barbara Brown has written, is a full sense of the power of God to recruit people who have made terrible choices, to invade the most hopeless lives and fill them with light, to sneak up on the people who are thinking about lunch, not God, and smack them upside the head with the glory and get them on the move for the gospel. I believe that could happen. I believe that could happen to you and to me. I believe that guided by God, if we open up scripture together and read, we will be free today. Beyond mine and your and anyone else's imagination. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.